Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Last week we were talking about uh, the ministry gifts, and uh, let me reset my clock here. And uh, we went through the fact that uh, these ministry gifts are listed in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse number 28. We pointed out the fact that uh, earlier in the chapter, you have spiritual gifts listed. And we went over those, and, and they're listed in, in verse number, beginning in verse number 8. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, special faith, gifts of healings, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. These are the 12 gifts of the Spirit we call gifts of the Spirit. I like to refer to them as manifestations of the Spirit, but either one's good. They're both scriptural. And, uh, and then we started talking about the, the ministry gifts. In chapter 12 here in verse 28, it says, God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. So you can see from verse 28 that he is listing the ministry gifts, the, what we call the ministry gifts or the ministry offices. And uh, you have a, a companion list in Ephesians chapter 4. It says that when Christ ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And he gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. In that list, he identifies all of these five ministry offices by name. In this passage, he only lists... He only identifies three of them by name, but he identifies the other two by their description. And so we talked about the fact that uh, uh, miracles and gifts of healings, that's referring to the evangelist's office. And the reason we, we say that is because he's obviously naming or listing the ministry offices. And so if he left out evangelist and pastor, it would be very conspicuous in this list that they're missing. And so, in fact, we believe they're not missing. They're, the evangelist is uh, indicated by gifts of healings and, uh, and working of miracles. And then he talks about, uh, uh, if you're reading from the New King James, it says administrations. That's a terrible uh, translation. Uh, the best translation is from the, old, from the older King James, and it's the word governments. And the word governments comes from a Greek word, kubernetes, and it means to steer or to pilot, like you would pilot a boat or steer a ship. And, uh, and so that's referring to the pastoral ministry because that's what the pastor does. He guides and steers the local church. So we have these um, five ministry offices and we talked about them. Uh, he also lists helps, varieties of tongues, and uh, the interpretation of tongues. He, in, he refers to the interpretation of tongues down in verse 30. Uh, I think it would be better before we use look at it in this chapter that we go over to Romans chapter 12 and look at uh, what is described there as what I call functional gifts so go with me over to Romans chapter 12 and uh, in Romans 12 there's a different list a different kind of list of gifts in the church and like I've said in, in earlier uh, services 
a lot of times there's, uh, today there's a lot of emphasis, at least from some people, about developing people's gifts in the church and finding your gift and releasing people and releasing their gifts, which, you know, those are not scriptural expressions, but people use them. And, uh, and so people have all kinds of ideas of what kinds of gifts uh, they might have in the body of Christ. And, and a lot of times the, uh, the type of gifts that they uh, identify aren't found in the scriptures. It's just stuff that people makes up and um, or people make up. And so here in chapter 12, he says, let's start in verse number three. He says, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, in the older King James, it said, as God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. But the word the is actually not there in the Greek. That article, which would indicate a specific, uh, common, uh, universal measure of faith. And, and a lot of people used to teach it that way. They say everybody in the body of Christ has the same core measure of faith. But, and they use this verse of scripture, but it doesn't say the measure of faith. It says a measure of faith because there are different measures of faith. And those, and, but this isn't talking about faith uh, like you use to get your prayers answered or to act on the word of God or take authority or some of those things. This is not talking about that subjective type of faith. It's a, it's a different kind of faith. It's a faith for a different purpose. Let me put it that way. It has a different purpose than the faith you use to believe and receive something from God. I call it functional faith. And I do that because of the way the, uh, the New King James reads. He goes on after, after he says, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, he says, for we... For as we have many members in one body, he's talking about the physical body, but all the members do not have the same function. You know, uh, Captain uh, Kirby here was talking about, uh, uh, you know, strength and working with that tree limb. You know, he, our hands are, are put in our body and our fingers for grasping things for pulling, for handling, manipulating things. It's not exactly the same purpose of our pancreas. It has a different function, isn't that right? And so the physical body has different parts, different organs, different things that are, are in our body to accomplish different things. They're, they're, all of the parts of our body are designed with a function. So he says in the next verse, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts, so he's, he's comparing gifts in the body to the parts of the, of the physical body, the gifts in the, in the local body or the universal body compared to the parts and organs and so forth of the physical body. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. See, each one of us in the body of Christ has gifts or graces. That's a, the, the word uh, gift over in 1 Corinthians 12 and it talks about the gifts of the Spirit is a word, word almost everybody's familiar with, the word charisma. Well, the word grace is very close to that. It's the word charis. There's charis and charisma. 
So it's, it's a, it's the two words are of the same root. And a grace is a gift, but it's a gracious endowment. It's not, it's not an, a supernatural endowment like uh, the gifts of the Spirit where the Holy Spirit comes on you and empowers you. It's, a, it's more of a, uh, an existing, long-standing, just ability that's a favor that has been given you, given you to help you complete a particular purpose in the body of Christ. Well, we all have different kinds of, of gifts or graces in that sense. And um, he says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And then he starts mentioning these particular gifts. Now, I don't, I'm not necessarily saying that these are all, that this is an exhaustive list, but I don't think we should venture far beyond what's in the scripture or we're just going to be making up stuff. And so it's good to just pay attention to what the Holy Spirit inspired and examine the kinds of graces or gifts that God gives us to function in the body. Just like, just like your, uh, your hands uh, have strength that your feet don't have. Well, body, the God uh, graces each one of us to function in the body of Christ and even in the local church with certain strengths that someone else in the body doesn't have. And so we need everybody working together. There's not anybody in the local church whom God has not graced to impart something or to function in some place in the body of Christ and in the local church. There's not anybody that's, that's, that's in a category, well, I, I'm in a unique situation. I don't have, God hasn't given me anything. No, that's not true. God has given all of us a function and a place and he has enabled us or graced us to, to operate in that place and to function in that place. The key is finding out where you are graced and make sure that you function there. Because when everybody's functioning in their place, then the body as a whole functions like it ought to. And everything is done and the, and the body works like it should work and, and, uh, and the life of the church is what it should be. But when you have people who won't function anywhere or only function in a limited uh, degree, then that hinders the body. You know, if you have, we've had a lot of people come up for prayer recently. I think Sunday we had uh, several people with something wrong with their shoulders. You know, when you have something wrong with your shoulder and you have limited mobility, it affects your whole body. If you have a back issue, it affects, it affects your whole body. And, that, and, and really, any area in your physical body, if you, have a, if you drop a hammer on your toe, you will know it all day long. Isn't that right? Because it'll affect how you walk. It'll affect, it'll affect your whole body. Well, when, when people in the local church are not functioning in the place that God has for them to function in, it hinders the whole church. Amen. Now, he mentions, first of all, let's look at this. He says, having then gifts, differing according to the grace that, notice having gifts, not if you have gifts, having then gifts. And, and let's back up. He, he illustrated this in verse three. He said, Paul is talking here. He said, for I say, through the grace given to me, and then he says what he's saying. In other words, the, the instructions that God gave the apostle Paul, he didn't bring these instructions to the church 
as a result of something he just came up with on his own or, or enabled naturally. He was enabled spiritually to say these things to the church. He had been graced as an apostle. He had been graced to be able to speak to the, to the church at Rome uh, about the things he's talking about. Well, in the same way, we're all supposed to do what we're called to do according to the grace given to us. Having then grace, so we all have grace, it's a matter of finding it and, and functioning in that grace, amen? So he says, uh, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. That's, that's pretty clear. Let us use them, not let us hide them, not let us ignore them, not let us abuse them, but let us use them. See, the, the graces that God gives us, he puts under our control. It's up to us what we do with them. It's up to us to use them. Even though he graces us, if we refuse to use them, he will let us refuse. But we also know that one day when the church age is over, we're all going to stand individually before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the judgment seat of Christ isn't the great white throne judgment because everybody who stands before God in the great white throne judgment are sinners. They're all lost. And they'll be judged out of the books, out of the word of God, and, uh, and according to their conscience and how God dealt with them. And uh, because they don't know him, it's going to be plain right in front of them why they had a, 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 no excuse on how God dealt with them and revealed himself to them. But Christians are going to go to a different judgment. It's called the, the uh, judgment seat of Christ. Everybody at this judgment is already saved. Can you say thank God for that? But it says we are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive a reward according to what was done here in this life. And so uh, uh, the Bible says we will each one give an account of himself before God. Amen. Uh, you know, we ought to think about that. There's coming a day when you, you if you wanted to, you could just do like this and say, now listen, because this is talking about me. There's, there's a day coming when you will, as an individual, stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and Father God to answer for what you did in this life and how many of you would think for what you did in the local church? Do you agree? Yeah. That's the principal part of what we do in this life is, is, is function in the local church. Well, we're all going to answer for that. And if you didn't do what God Fun, what God graced you to do and, and where he placed you to function in the church, uh, you're going to be, be uh, uh, sad on that day because you're going to see the rewards that you could have had and you're not going to have those rewards. Say, well, whew, at least I'll be in heaven. You know, not everybody in heaven is going to be in the same place. I said, not everybody in heaven is going to, yeah, they'll all be in heaven. But some people are going to have more exalted places in heaven. And, and how many of you like the idea of being on the lower 
rung of humanity. How many of you like that? How many of you like being, uh, you know, down and out and the off-scurring of the world and somebody nobody likes to talk to and looks down on? Does anybody like that? I mean, not there's anybody there that relates to that. I'm just saying, no. We, 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 wanna, we want to uh, have a place of respect in society. Well, when we get to heaven, there are going to be people who aren't on the same level of other people because of rewards that are given. And when we get to heaven, it says we're all going to know even as we are known. I don't, uh, you know, we're going to know where you missed it. Everybody's going to know. How about that? So, you know, you want to do what God's called you to do and he's going to reward you. You don't want to stand before the Lord and miss out on those rewards and be one place knowing you could have been someplace else in heaven. Well, praise the Lord. That's encouraging. It's the truth. Judgment seat of Christ is a real event. It's coming. Amen. So he says here, he said, uh, if prophesy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Now, go with me, hold your place here and go over with me to Romans chapter 12. I'm, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, we're in Romans 12, go to 1 Corinthians 12. Here he lists the nine gifts of the Spirit. And notice he says in verse number Seven, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. And he says, he, he, he says those same words concerning each one of the gifts of the Spirit. He says to one is given one gift of the Spirit, to another is given another gift of the Spirit. It's clear that not everybody has all of the gifts of the Spirit. As a usual thing, he's saying that you only have the gift of the Spirit that you're given. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't give it to you, you can't exercise it. I talked about the fact that some people have the idea that gifts of the Spirit are something they kind of have in their pocket and they can just exercise at, at will. I think last time we were here two weeks ago, I talked about certain ministers who, because God had given them uh, uh, the ability to operate in the word of knowledge, and they worked in that a lot. When they get into certain place in ministry, you know, they've built their ministries on their gifts. And then when the Holy Spirit's not moving, they've got all this crowd of people that came out, you know, and they want, they want to see the, the prophet or the apostle or the evangelist uh, do what he usually does and those gifts aren't there, then they start putting on, they start manufacturing things. They feel like, well, I have this gift of the Spirit, I can just operate it. No, it's as the Spirit wills. Prophecy is one of those gifts. It's as the Spirit wills. Notice what it says in verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things Distributing to each one individually as he wills. That means one person has prophecy and another person doesn't. Now this is talking about 
uh, the, the public exercise of all of these gifts in the, in the public uh, uh, church service. Now, he goes on to say in, let's see, go over to chapter 14. Well, go over to, yeah, go to 14 and, and look at verse number three. He who prophesies edifies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. He who speaks in, t- in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, that is, that you all prophesied. For, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edifying. He's saying that it would be better for everybody to prophesy in church than to merely speak in other tongues. Now, this is talking about the public exercise of tongues, not talking about the private exercise that can be conducted in, in public. You know, whenever we're just all worshiping the Lord in other tongues, we're in a public place, but that's a private exercise of the gift of tongues because we're not speaking to one another, we're just worshiping God. And, and you shouldn't be even paying attention to anybody around you. You should be focusing on the Lord. But uh, he goes on to say in this chapter, in chapter 14, in verse number 31, for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. Now, that doesn't mean that tonight I could go down the road and start over here at Veronica and say, okay, Veronica, I want you to prophesy, and then Melissa, I want you to prophesy, and then I want you to prophesy, and I want you to prophesy, and then you're next, and, and then we'll jump over here to the other side and we'll get these guys and that's not what that means, that you can prophesy at will. Because again, it's as the Spirit gives it to you. What he's saying is that anybody can prophesy when the Holy Spirit moves. Or you could say it like this, uh, anybody can expect the Holy Spirit from time to time to give them a word of prophecy. That would be scriptural. I've been in church all of my life except for a short period of time when I was backslidden and I've always been in Pentecostal churches and I've noticed this that in every church I ever belonged to there were certain people that moved frequently in the vocal gifts and the rest of the church did not move frequently in the vocal gifts I'm talking about publicly in every Pentecostal church, I, I, of course, I really only belonged to two, three, excuse me, three before I went off to Bible school. But uh, being in a, a Pentecostal denomination, you went to a lot of different churches for different functions and things. And I noticed in Pentecostal churches, there was always certain ones in the church who uh, they, weren't in the, they weren't in the professional ministry or the fivefold ministry. They were just lay people in the church. But there were certain people that... Uh, on, with some degree of regularity, I'm not talking about every uh, week or even every month, but with some degree of regularity, uh, uh, when, the, when, when the gifts of the Spirit would begin to operate, they would either speak in tongues, give a, uh, what we call a message in tongues, or an interpretation of tongues, or prophecy. There are certain people that God graces more so than other people. Okay? Now, I am firmly convinced that, that anybody if they had a desire and they pursued the things of the Spirit, God would begin to use them in those areas. But it's still only as the Spirit does it. You can't just manufacture it. There has to be something from the Holy Ghost that, that comes on you. Now, the difference between prophecy, interpretation of tongues, and, and 
the simple gift of tongues, when it comes to speaking in tongues in your private prayer life, you don't have to have any special uh, 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 inspiration of the Spirit. You don't have to have the Spirit move on you, as we would say, to pray in other tongues. Because Paul made the statement, he said, I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding. He put praying with the Spirit in that context on the same level of praying with your, with your own understanding. In other words, you do it with the same, uh, with the same uh, 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 prompting, the prompting of I will. I will pray with the understanding. I will pray with the Spirit. So you don't have to have any special uh, uh, unction or any special uh, impartation or any special quickening or any special uh, 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 moving on by the Holy Spirit to pray in other tongues. But when you get into a public service, you do need to depend on that, on that move of the Holy Spirit for him to move on you, come upon you, and prompt you and, and, and empower you to do that. Even if you pray in tongues all the time in your private prayer life, you could... You could at any time in the service just open your mouth and just begin to speak with other tongues out loud like you're you know, addressing the church and giving a message in tongues, but it, it wouldn't have any anointing on it. And uh, no, you're supposed to wait until the Holy Spirit moves. Same thing is true for the interpretation of tongues in public and in prophecy. Uh, and so when he says in Romans chapter 12, go back over there, when he says there are, there are some people whose grace is to prophesy. He's talking about those people that God uses with some frequency uh, in that way. Like I said, in the Pentecostal churches I always went to, there was always somebody, two or three people, maybe three or four, maybe five, in a local church who whenever uh, we would get to a certain place in worship, uh, uh, if, if God was going to move, he would move through those same people. Again, I think it's because a lot of people were lazy. And they felt like, well, I don't qualify to be used like that. And so we'll just leave it up to Brother, you know, Sister Holiness and Brother Doodad, you know, and let them minister this way because God uses them in that way. But God would use anybody if they were available. And, uh, uh, but for some reason, people don't respond. See, these, these giftings here, these functional gifts, God gives them to us, but we have to respond. If we don't respond to any of the things listed here, we can go through life as though we didn't even have that gift. And we, can, we, can, we won't have any witness of it or any leading of it. You have to have a hunger for the things of God. You have to have a hunger to serve. You have to have a hunger to serve God. If you don't have a hunger to serve God, other people, God will use other people and just won't use you. And it's not, he, his not using you won't be because he chose not to. It's because you didn't hunger for anything. Like I said, in the Pentecostal churches I grew up in, there was always certain people that uh, uh, everybody knew that God used them in tongues and interpretation. That's in, in my experience with Faith Christian Fellowship and Impact Family Church, that's always been difficult. We've never really had a, a, a consistency uh, of, of people who would operate that way. And that's always discouraged me. It's always uh, bothered me. I think 
just like the, the churches I came up with, I think a lot of times people are lazy. I think a lot of times, and I'm not talking about somewhere else. I'm talking about right here. I think people are just fine with other people being used of God and they're looking to somebody else. And, and sometimes in these churches I went to, sometimes the pastoral team wasn't, uh, they didn't operate in these things. One church I went to, the pastor was, he, he, was, he was real strong in vocal gifts. Uh, when he left to take an overseership in another state, the pastor that came in after him never operated in gifts of the Spirit. And so I think, you know, in our, in our denominational culture, pastors came and went. And so the congregation uh, was more of, uh, of, of a body that the, the pastors were transient. They came and went. And so if we were going to have spiritual gifts and any consistency in the body, somebody in the body was going to have to carry it. Well, in, in churches like we have now, because, you know, people on the staff, Pastor Angela, me, Steve Morgan, different ones, because we, we operate in the gifts of the Spirit, I think it's easy for other people just to sit back. I, 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 I know you think I'm, I'm picking on you, and, and, I, wanna, and I, want to, I want this to challenge you and stir you up, but I'm not being mean about it. But honestly, I wonder how many here really have a hunger to find a place of ministry in the spirit, in the vocal gifts. How many really hunger for that? I think most people don't even think about it. I'm just, I think that's true. I can't read your mind, but I think that's true. And, and so if more people would have a hunger, this gift of prophecy would be more widely distributed. So these, these gifts that he's talking about here are things that anybody can get involved in. Everybody should be involved in these, but it's up to us whether or not we actually function in them. So he says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy to the proportion of our faith. Remind me to come back to that statement. Or ministry. Now here's a, 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 an interesting word. The word ministry is the word that's, it's one of the most common words of the New Testament. It's the Greek word for service or serve. Serve, service, ministry, all the Greek word, all that, that the, uh, the Greek word is all the same in all of those different translations. Now we spiritualize the word ministry and we don't spiritualize the word service, but it's all the same thing. When, when, when Paul and the other apostles pen these words, uh, they just use the one word. And church history has anointed the English word ministry and made it something different than the word serve or service, and it's not different. It's not different. I'm in full-time service. I'm a, I have the, the service of pastoring. That's my service. That's how I serve God. Everybody is supposed to be in service to the Lord. Everybody's supposed to serve in the local church. Now, I know there are people who feel like, well, you know, I, I serve God in other areas. 
I know there are people that feel like, well, you know, my, my, my place of service is in the workforce and I, you know, I, I witness to a lot of people. I, I, I share my testimony. I minister to people, unsaved people. And I've got Christians on the job who come to me, you know, for prayer and advice. I kind of mentor them and, and that's how God uses me. There's nothing wrong with that. But the first place we're supposed to serve God is in our local church. Because this is the local church. This is the, there's the universal church. There's the local church. We're supposed to serve God locally right here. So everybody should be in ministry. Every person in the local church should be serving in a place of ministry. Every single person. But you know, some people will give themselves to it more than others will. Regrettably, it's not, that's not, that's not uh, desired, that's a fact. It's an undesired fact, but it's a fact. Well, when you give yourself to serving God, if you have the heart, Lord, I want to do anything and everything I can do. Lord, how can I be effective? Where does my pastor need me? What, what areas can I, can I fill? How can I step up and do more for you? When a person has that kind of heart, they, they will be one of those who are gifted in ministry. Again, it's available to anybody. And really, the call is for everybody, just like the call to prophesy is for everybody. But that anointing is only going to come on people who are willing to prophesy or willing to serve. So he says, if, if, uh, if prophesy, let us use that grace in prophesying or in service, See, see, it's interesting that he, he's saying, well, if, it, if you have a gift in, of prophesy, prophecy, use it. Or if you have a gift in ministry, then use it. Or if you have a gift somewhere else, as if God just chooses certain people and says, okay, you are the prophesier and you are the ministry person. And, uh, and you are he who teaches and you are he who exhorts and you are he who gives that's not the way it's dealt out. Grace develops in our life in, in, in to the degree that we respond to it. Every one of these things, anybody could do. Every single one of them. Every one of them we ought to be doing to some degree. But, you know, I, nobody's gonna, is going to... Uh, be the poster child for all of them. Isn't that right? We ought to be a poster child for one of them. Not just be so faintly and marginally and occasionally used that, go ahead and pick that up, Iris. Everybody look at Iris. She dropped her Bible just for the record. You know, it's easier just to laugh about it, yeah, you know, than just to make a big thing out of it, right? There will be those in the church who will, the grace of God will be strong on them to prophesy. Our, for, the, for, the, for the recording's sake, Iris is having a bad night tonight. We love you, Iris. You just go ahead and pick those up. It's okay. 
You want to sit up here in the front? It'd be easier to get to stuff. <laughs> there, are, there are going to be those in the church that you can look at and say, yep, that person functions in that grace. More so than other people. But everybody ought to have a place where somebody can say, Lori functions in this grace or in another grace. We ought to all have a, a, a desire for God that we would want to serve someplace. And if you do, that grace will rise up in you. And it'll, be, and it'll be on you in a measure that it's not on the next guy. But hopefully the next guy has got an area of grace that he's functioning in that's not on you. That's the way it's supposed to work. So one of them is prophecy. And that, of course, we know that prophecy could be, I believe it's, it's a reference to all three vocal gifts. Because prophecy and tongues and interpretation are closely related. They all, they all flow from the same uh, uh, type of, of, uh, of inspiration, the same type of prompting. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, the best illustration I've ever heard is Brother Hagin's illustration. He said, you know, prophecy is like the dime in a 10-cent piece. It's the dime. Tongues and interpretation are like two nickels. You know, two nickels will accomplish the same thing a dime. Two nickels are not a dime. Two completely different. A nickel's a different thing from a dime. But two nickels together, not one nickel, but the two nickels together will buy the same thing a dime will buy. The two nickels will accomplish the same thing the dime will accomplish. Tongues plus interpretation is really prophecy in its varied form. There's two varied forms of prophecy. There's prophecy, and then it's broken down, if you can say it that way. It's broken down to two separate gifts, tongues and interpretation. When you put them together, it accomplishes the same thing of prophecy. So, so when, when he talks about uh, if, you're, if your grace is to prophesy, it might be tongues and interpretation. It'd be the same, it'd be the same function. Or it might be one person tongues, another person interpretation. Well, praise the Lord. And then he talks about ministry. Well, that can cover so many things. Serving. Praise the Lord. He who exhorts. Who, what, what in the world is an exhorter? An exhorter is someone who encourages and challenges others. He's not a teacher. He talks in here about teaching. The, the exhorter is not uh, well, well he, I've skipped teaching. Let's just, we'll come back to it in a, minute, in a minute. He who exhorts is someone who encourages and challenges and speaks to the heart of people. And an exhorter is always calling people higher, encouraging, encouraging them to, to, to do like they should do and encouraging them that they can do it. It's, it's a very encouraging, uh, promoting, uh, 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 building others up kind of ministry. Remember, prophesy. He who prophesies speaks under men under edification, under edification, exhortation, and comfort. So that ex exhortation is something that, that uh, God will use certain people to just encourage the church. Doug does that a lot. He's not the only one, but a lot of times he gets up, take up the offering, and he just encourages us in some area. He's not a teacher, but he encourages us and calls us higher. Well, that's a legitimate grace well, more people could do that. You say, well, I don't take up the offering. Well, you, could encourage, you can encourage people in the congregation. 
could be an encourager. could be an exhorter. An exhorter is not a, a finger pointer. You can do better than you're doing, brother. I'm just, I'm praying for you that you'll straighten up. That's not, that's not exhorting. <laughs> exhorting is glory to God. You know, you know, Zach, you bless me. You just really bless me. You, God's really doing great things in your life and you're an inspiration to me. And, and uh, what does that do? Man, that just, it encourages him, doesn't it? I've been watching you. I've, I've seen how you, how you worship God and how you serve him. You're, that's an exhorter. Well, praise the Lord. We, anybody could do that. Some people do it. Many people don't. And the ones who do it, guess what? They're identified as exhorters. Well, you could join that rank. Amen. And then he who teaches. There are those who can teach and they're gifted in the local church. They're not in a five-fold ministry of teaching because they're not called to a pulpit ministry on a regular basis, but they very much have a teaching gift. We all, where is Annette? Is she in here tonight? They're hidden back there? There she is. I don't care how far you come up, you're still hidden. <laughs> Little Annette. She's, she's a businesswoman, a lay person. She can teach as good as anybody. And if, if, you would, if you would be a student of the word and really, and really somebody who loved the word and fed on the word and, and acted, God would use you to teach something that you've learned too. Amen. So there are people in the, in the local church that God graces, but he graces them because they make themselves available. Now, I have to, I have to draw Annette out because every time I ask her, she goes, oh, I don't know, you know, can I do that? I said, you've been doing this for 15 years. Yes, you can do it. And she's a blessing. Yes, Giving. Well, praise the Lord, I don't have that gift. <laughs> I don't have that grace. I'm off the hook. No, we're all taught to give. It's the Bible. It is disobedience not to give. It's disobedience to God to not tithe and give offerings. It's disobedience. And a tithe, you've, we've, been, we've been down this road, not going to spend a lot of time on it, but a tithe is 10% of your income. We're all commanded and instructed to do that. And so you don't have to have a special gift to do that. But people who... Get, get over the fear of giving. The people who get beyond feeling aggravated every time the pastor makes, uh, brings up Africa or brings up the air conditioner or brings up something else because it's not being funded. You know, some people don't, some people don't like it, but the pastor's job is to raise the, one of his jobs is to raise the finances to keep the organization going. I tell this story in, in my book, Brother Hagen, years ago, he had a, a woman in his church. He was, he was pastoring for a short time. He, was, he actually took over somebody's church. He was a pastor who was on furlough. I forget the details, but he pastored uh, for a short period of time. And this particular church had a mortgage payment that was due at the end of the year. And so I think it, I think it was like years in. It's like so in October, November, December, all of the Sunday night offerings went to the, to the mortgage payment because they, they had to make the mortgage payment. So 
he, he, would, he would take up the offering on, on Sunday nights, you know, and encourage people, you know, we got a mortgage payment coming up December, you know, we got to get, well, there was a lady that came up to him and, and, and said, I don't like the way you're taking up the offering. I mean, she didn't say it in just those words, but she was critical. She didn't like it. She, she made it clear. He said, okay, sister. He said, this happened more than once. And so finally he said to her one day, he said, sister, I tell you what, since I don't know how to take up the offering for the mortgage payment and you do, next Sunday night I'm going to call on you and you can take up the mortgage payment. But here's the caveat. Here's the thing. You got to raise the whole amount and if you don't, it's coming out of your own pocket. She said, I won't come to church Sunday night. I just won't show up. He said, that's fine. He said, the next time you do show up, I'm going to call on you. Well, she stayed out of service, you know, a week or so. Finally, she showed up on a, on a Sunday night and he said, she said later, sure enough, she saw that he was getting ready to call her. She could tell he was getting ready to call on her. It's out of desperation. She jumped to her feet and pledged, you know, this certain amount of money to the, to the, to the uh, mortgage payment. And when she did, the whole crowd got inspired and people started popping up, making pledges, and the whole thing was, was, was solved. The whole mortgage payment was raised that night. But she begged him she, before that happened when he said, you know, you're going to have to do this. She said, well, I won't come. And he said, well, whenever you do show up, I'm going to make you do it. Then she started begging him. She said, oh, please, Brother Hagen, don't make me do this. She said, I'll never criticize you again. I'm so sorry. He said, I forgive you and I believe you, but you're still going to have to do it. <laughs> he would not let her off the hook. So she waited a couple of weeks and sure enough, that's what happened. And he said, she became one of his most strongest supporters where finances and raising offerings were concerned because people don't realize it's the pastor's job. You might not like the way he does it, but you can do it. I'll just let you do it if you want to. Amen. Amen. No, sometimes I do talk about. We need, you know, we need everybody. If everybody's enjoying the air conditioning, everybody ought to contribute to the air conditioning. I got about half the crowd on that. Amen. Like I said, Sunday, I think it was Sunday or maybe last week or sometime, you know, get involved in every giving opportunity. Don't let special projects like the air conditioning or the building fund or a pastoral appreciation or Africa or anything. Don't let any, excuse me, opportunity to give pass you by. Now, you don't have to give as much to one as you give to another. If you feel strongly about one, you feel especially directed, but give something to everything. Like I said, we have, we have people who never give to guest speakers. We have guest speakers, and they never give. They come to the services, and they get blessed. I notice they come down front. The guest minister prays for them. They receive ministry. They go the way. Don't put anything in the offering. Well, that's not right. Well, praise the Lord. So everybody needs to give. Now, when I start talking this way, there's some people that it chafes. They don't like me talking this way. It just irritates them. They don't want to hear it. They wish I'd stop. Well, I'm not going to. But <laughs> never have. Never will. But it bothers some people. But those people who get beyond that and really catch the vision that I'm talking about for giving, that, that actually uh, begin to give with pleasure give joyfully, the people who respond that way, God starts blessing them. I mean, he blesses them because they give, but he blesses them because of their heart. And finances start coming into their lives. 
And they begin to function in this grace of giving that the person across the aisle doesn't function in. It's not the person, not because the person on the, across the aisle couldn't, he could. It's just that the person here that we're talking about, you know, uh, they give themselves to that and enjoy it and God blesses them and they become one of those whose ministry or whose grace is to give. Well, that could be with anybody. Do it with liberality. Do it with generosity, amen? He who shows mercy, should you, do you think everybody should show mercy? Should that be a, a is that a universal uh, qualification and a universal requirement of all Christians to be merciful? Yes. But then there are some people who love showing mercy and everybody could love to show mercy. Everybody could love being merciful. There are several translations here and it seems like the, the implication of this verse is the, the word cheerfulness uh, in that text where it says do it with cheerfulness. I know I'm taking a minute here, but that word cheerful is the word hilarito. Uh, it's the word we get hilarious from. It's the Greek word that we get the English word hilarious. He said, he who shows mercy, do it hilariously. In other words, with this big old beaming smile on your face. And the idea, evidently, from different commentators, I don't know if I can't really say I know this is true, but many commentators indicate that this has to do with visiting people when they're down, people in need, people who's going through a difficult time, maybe the loss of a family or member or somebody, or maybe somebody's in the hospital, you know, and you just go to them and just come in the room just beaming with joy and gladness and you lift that person's spirits. You know, we live in a day today where not everybody wants you in their hospital room. When you go to the hospital, you know, it's when I was a kid, remember the waiting rooms? You had visiting hours were so short and you had, you know, all the kids were in the waiting room and other people in the waiting room. They had to let people in two at a time and things like that. You don't have that so much today. Because people like their privacy. When they're laid up in the hospital bed and they got that crazy gown on, you know, they don't, you know, they, they don't smell good, they haven't bathed, and, you know, they just don't want a lot of people in the room. Huh? And the hair's crazy and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we understand that. But, but when it's appropriate, if there's a lady in the hospital, you know, she might not want me coming in, but she might like to see you, ladies, or guys, the same thing. I know when my wife and I, we always go visit people in the hospital. You know, she, if, it's a, if it's a woman, she goes in and I stay out in the, in the hallway until Angela tells me it's safe to come in. <laughs> and, uh, and sometimes, you know, it's just better for my wife to go. You know, if, 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 if they're in labor, I'm not going. <laughs> I'm just not going, I'm not going. Angela can go in there and listen to those screams and all that stuff, I'm not going. It's just not the place for a guy to be. Amen. Get hurt in there. <laughs> but but there are there everybody can be a blessing to somebody. And and there are people who give themselves to that. They enjoy doing it. And so they're noted as people who, you know, they, they visit people, they encourage people. And this is separate from the exhorter. This is someone, particularly when, when someone is sick or someone's going through a difficult time, he said, show mercy, extend the mercy of God, but do it with a big old bright smile on your face. Now, 
kindness toward others. Yeah. See, now my mom, God, God, God bless her. She's been in heaven for eight years, so I can say this, okay? And she's in heaven. She knows it's true. She, she would always visit people in the hospital. She, she always did that. But dear Lord, I thought, my God, I wouldn't want her to come visit me. A long face. You don't tell her. She's got a couple sisters alive. Don't you rat them. But she gets a long face. No joy. That, don't do that. Somebody is going through something. They don't need your sad face coming in there. Telling them how bad it is. And how, oh, I know you bless your heart. You're going through a difficult time. Let me get up next to you and cry with you. That's not going to help. Amen. So these are, these are gifts that anybody can have, but they're on certain people because certain people give themselves to them. Yeah. And because they do, that grace is in their life. Amen. And, and if your gift is making snowballs, then you'll just have to, or with these other crazy gifts that we came up with, you know, having a job. Just kidding, huh? Rocking, Yeah. One lady in one of Brother Hagen's churches, she, had, she said she had the gift of rocking. She said, Brother Hagen, when you're, when you're in the spirit, I'll know it and I'll rock. And if I'm not rocking, you're not in the spirit. That's what she told Brother Hagen. She said, that's, so you, if you wonder if, if you're anointed, look over at me. And if I'm rocking, you're, you're hitting on all syllables. If I'm not, you need to do better. Praise the Lord. Well, see you Sunday. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.